Hi. Daniel, it's good to see you again. We had just gotten started on, and one of the things that I wanted to say was congratulations for having no uh, doubts about the practice and the knowledge that doubt actually is a hindrance to our uh, practice, and we think that we're going to remove doubt by asking a ton of questions. But then when we finish with the questions, we're still perhaps left with doubt. And even when we're finished with doubt, there may still be a, uh, an issue of fear, because fear is the underlying thing that's there. And fear is the communication system that is done by instinct. It's our self-preservation instinct is the primary instinct. And the Buddha talks also about this as one of the four modes of clinging. Yeah. Okay. And so what are the uh, other cling clinging to the self means that you have an underlying um, attitude or okay. life's position that things are dangerous and I need to protect the self. And that mentality goes right along with the instinct, giving instinct almost free reign to have as many false positives as it likes. <clears throat> and what is a false positive? It's when it sounds an alert, like maybe an air raid siren in the chest or whatever, and there is no air raid. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And so basically, uh, where did that um, air raid uh, warning come from, that siren come from? If it wasn't told, now is the time to have the siren. The answer to that then would be that there's probably some little thought or some little attitude that we have that perhaps is not even as big as a thought that will then trigger off that fear. And with the fear comes doubts, and with the doubts come questions. And so this is actually going pretty deep into the psychology. When I say deep here, I'm talking about down to our DNA. Mm -hmm. Right past the, um, um, let us say, the, uh, the running program that is the, um, the thoughts long discursive thoughts like we're having now that I teach in discursive thought or in concepts. But the, uh, the point is, is to convey uh, a sense of feeling, a sense of well-being, a sense of being free from fear and uncomfortableness and doubt. And so uh, because that's the way of becoming relaxed. That's the whole practice. And yet many people will practice meditation still not dealing with that uptightness. Okay, sure. So uh, pointing this out is uh, a good way to begin uh, uh, this part of our conversation is with this issue of the hindrances, this one in particular being the hindrance call to doubt, but it also can be used in the sense of confusion. 
our unsuredness. And when we lose our surety, that's when there is dangers or being afraid. The question is, can you leave yourself in a state of, uh, let us say, not sureness, unclear, uh, without it being um, a doubt that's preying on the mind, nor is it a set of questions. We just simply don't know, and it's okay that we don't know. Yeah. Because there's a whole lot of stuff that you don't know and you don't care. Yeah. Yeah, and if you did know, you might care. So in that regard, some kind of knowledge is dangerous. Uh, I don't know if I get the distinction. Well, <clears throat> I do not know whether you have heard it or not, but it was um, quite uh, well known, let us say, three, four, five, six years ago, maybe back in the time of Obama through the um, part of the, uh, <clears throat> the Trump administration, where the U.S. was helping uh, Saudi Arabia with their weapons so that Saudi Arabia could bomb the bejesus out of Yemen. Yeah, Yemen. Okay, and that the Yemenis were suffering. Yeah. Greatly for it. Okay, if you know that, <clears throat> does that mean that you take an attitude about someone's doing something wrong and they ought to stop Like, should the U.S. stop giving the weapons? Should the Saudis stop bombing the Yemenis? Should the Yemenis stop taking support from the Iraqis or Iran, rather, et cetera? Yeah. Right? That brings in a lot of attitudes and a lot of doubts. But if you really recognize that you and I both don't know what was going on in Yemen, and that if we did, we would probably only choose to feel bad some way or another. Sure. Righteous including. When in fact, it's better to recognize that we don't know what's going on and we don't know whose side to take. Right. But it's a balance, right? Because like, because I stopped reading news when I was like 16. I'm 21 now for that reason. Like I would read news. And I, I would just come to the conclusion at the end of like all the articles I read, like, man, I really don't know anything. I really don't know what's going on. And there's no way for me to know. So this is just like noise. But at the same time, maybe it's good to like be informed, but but not like form a negative reaction, not let it like like cause you problems throughout your day. You know? Ah, recognize that there's a lot of arrows whistling in the air, but you can dodge each and every one of them so that don't don't strike you. That's the yeah. whole point of the media or yeah. propaganda is if they launch enough misinformation into the air, it's bound to hit some people, some place, some time that's not looking. Sure. And they'll become misinformed. Right? Yeah. And yeah, what yeah. is that misinformed means is, is that this is my position and other people have other positions. And if you and if they heard if this person heard that other guy's position, 
you would say that he was being misinformed. Okay. Right. So in fact, that's what media is altogether. It's misinformation, some of which is factual and some of which is not. And okay. as you said, it's hard to tell the difference without a lot of study. But the problem is, is that the deeper into that crap you dig, the more crap you get all over you. So you don't read news at all? Oh, I read it a lot. Okay, okay. And, but I'm taking a bath <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> to yep. recognize this is not me, this is not mine. This is not who I am, none of my business. If I even have to tell myself that normally I've already got that position, so I'm just howling with laughter over some of the ridiculous things that you see going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's also an awful lot of stuff that we don't know. Yeah, and so start paying attention to that. This is, in fact, the whole position that the Buddha is taking that can be classified under the position of uh, sunyata or sunyata. Okay. Have you heard of that word? I believe not. Okay, it actually means what's not there. And okay. it's been translated into em into English as emptiness or nothingness or void. Oh, okay. So that's emptiness. Right. Now, okay. we could say that when your mind is wholesome, then it is free from or void from unwholesome thoughts. Okay. Like questions. Yeah, it's empty. Right. That there is, it's empty of unwholesomeness, but it's not empty altogether. It's just empty of something, and whatever it is that something that is empty of for sure is, um, let us say, something atomic or something that is not concocted or stuck together. Okay. That in fact, things like current events is a whole bunch of stuff from many different points of view, many different camera angles, and many different thought processes, all stuck together that we call politics or world news or something like that. Yeah. Right? But in fact, it's just a whole bunch of stuff. And when we begin to recognize that everything is a whole bunch of stuff, and that there is no unit or wholeness to it. An example of that that uh, within the suttas is the example of the chariot where the king was asking about this and Nagarjuna yeah. asked permission to take the chariot apart. Right. And after the chariot is all apart, where is the chariot? Mm -hmm. The chariot itself was nothing but a mental concept in the first place. Yeah, it was the sum of many parts. And it's the sum of many parts. And when those parts are not assembled correctly, you've got no chariot. Right. Yeah. Okay. I imagine with the chariot parts, you could do a lot of different things with it. One of the things is put the uh, uh, the uh, the axle upright, balanced with the ridge pole, and put the basket on top and have a perch. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do a whole lot of things with the yeah, perch. Yeah. You could make. It. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that perch that I just invented 
was also just a mental concept because the wheels themselves are just mental concepts within each of our minds when we talk about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. when we recognize that uh, that there is no real chariot there, that anything that is chariot is merely a mental construction that's constructed itself by many different parts, and that there's no whole thing there, chariot. Okay. And if you can see that connection, you can see that also with an automobile, that there is no car there, there is merely wheels, but wheels are made up of stamped materials of a certain kind um, and uh, tires and things like this. And so everything is broken down to constituent component parts. And the further that breaks down, the further away from car it gets. The car is always just a mental construction. Right, you can zoom in on like anything and find that it's not simply that thing. There's no inherent value to it. Yeah. That everything is actually void then. So all of those uh, chariot parts, even when they're assembled together, are void of a chariot. There's no chariot there. Okay. And in the mind of the beholder. Okay, but so what about that? What about that? I agree. All right, then if you can see that there's no inherent chariotness there, then you can also see that there's no inherent core to anything. Okay. There's no inherent core to the laptop. There's no laptopness in the hard drive. There's no laptopness in uh, uh, the mouse pad. There is no laptopness in the, the pixels of the screen. Yeah. Right? Sure. Okay. Yeah, if that's true and there's no real laptop other than a concept and, and a bunch of stuff stuck together and that's true of a car and it's true of a, um, a bicycle and it's true of a, a laptop. How about if it's true of a dog? Yeah, it's true of a dog. How about you? Yeah, it's true of me. It's true of my family. All right. So that means then that you're devoid of an inherent Eunice or self. There's nothing there. Okay. Yeah. So what do I do with this information? Now, it's liberating because you just said uh, we going back to the point about um, that you're completely safe that um, that you're perfectly safe and you say no. There's a little bit of doubt, and the answer to that was to protect. What was it that you were wanting to protect? I don't know myself. I don't know. Ah, and yet we have just determined with the laptop and the car and the chariot, there is no self. There's no inherent you in there anywhere. That yeah, but I'm trying to protect. Is sure. really a you are a concept in your own mind. Yeah, but like, what if really bad things happen to me? Well, that's like, just because of feelings you don't like it. It's not necessarily bad things. That the bad is because you don't like it. Yeah, but I don't want to, like, for, like, I can list it. I can list the things that I don't want to happen to me. I don't want to be unhealthy. I don't want to be, I don't want to have, like, a lack of, uh, like, purpose or meaning in my life. You know, I want to do, okay. like, good things. Well, have relatively you good been things. Healthy? Sure. Okay, let's work with health for a minute. You've All right. Always All right. been healthy. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. 
Yeah, more or um, less. Here, here's something that we can uh, talk about that we can begin to understand um, through. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll use um, uh, iterative logic for a mathematical proof. In other okay. words, one example after another after another, and we get a rhythm going. Yeah, like a proof. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, just as we were doing that with the car and the bicycle and the dog and the, and the self, we could begin to also understand that things are based upon feelings and that our feelings drive us and that the feelings are also driven and what the the that drives the feelings is concepts okay another another way of talking about concepts could also be discursive thought or uh the buddha talks about it in the sense of silabata paramasa which means a set of rules or a set of standards that we have picked up over time and that too is just a, a big collection and so it's even speaking in concepts, it is a big collection of all the ways that things should be that you've decided that you picked up. Your set of standards or your set of personal uh, uh, belief systems about what is right and what is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And that those were picked up from other people because of that's what they believe. And in many cases, they try to insist upon it that you know that mm -hmm. by punishing you in some way or another so that you did feel bad, so that you could uh, get the habit of when you feel bad, it's associated with uh, uh, something bad. All right. Okay. What I mean by so feeling bad is not liking. If you don't like something, but also feeling bad would be wanting something that you don't have. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and so um, when we say feeling bad, that's still just a kind of a decision that's made based upon actual feeling of, I don't like it. Okay. And if I don't like it, then um, uh, in the have you ever heard of Petit Samapada? Because that's a lot of what we're teaching here. A dependent uh, origination. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is what we're talking about right now. Okay. Is, uh, at that feeling level, we go into tanha, or wanting. If I like it, I want it. Okay. And if I want it and want it and want it, then I got a habit, and now I'm clinging to it. Yeah. Okay, and so one of the things that we naturally cling to, and I say naturally meaning instinctually cling to, is a sense of self as the self-preservation mechanism. But it's merely a mechanism, and it often has, uh, like any machine, it has some false positives or false results. Yeah. In other words, it rings that siren when, in fact, there's no danger. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if that happens a lot, then the person is filled with fear, filled with doubt, filled with trepidation, when in fact there's absolutely no danger at all. And we all do it from time to time. Yeah. 
and will have a thought about something or, or uh, much more likely some event will happen and it will trigger a fear response within us. Loud noises can happen. Somebody can yell at us. Uh, traffic accidents happen. Getting stopped by the cops. Uh, waking up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now that's an interesting one. You were just bopping along. You don't remember much of what was going on, but all of a sudden now you're waking. You woke up in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. And that's a good example here because you've already mentioned the issue of um, not wanting to be sick. I can, yeah, okay. I can continue that list. Like, I don't want to be sick. I don't want to develop bad habits. Well, let's just stay with the sickness right now. That's an okay, interesting one because the point that I'm about to make now um, is, is that, well, we'll start it from this perspective. And that is, is that the Buddha talks about dukkha. Yep. And he gives some really big, strong examples of it to kick things off so that we know where he's going with it. Okay. And that is old age, sickness, and death. Right. Then he talks about lamentation, grief, and despair is what people will do about old age, sickness, and death. But the real issue is not getting what we want or having to put up with something that we don't want to put up with in the moment or not sure what's going on with I like it or I don't like it. Yeah. That is the one that leads to confusion. Okay, so we either like it or we don't like it or we're confused about it. But in any case, there's a lot of ignorance in there because what happens with the mind is we wind up with it um, <clears throat> either as sour grapes or as uh, bad. Mm -hmm. And sour grapes are bad anyway. <clears throat> so the sour grapes means that grapes that I really wanted and I tried to get and I couldn't get. And so I, I walk away disappointed saying, oh, I didn't want it anyway. They were sour. Yeah. Right. So the other side is uh, that we just call it bad. Now that here's the mechanism that happens in the mind with that. And that is, is that when we feel something, then we uh, let us say we want to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And if we want to get rid of it, then we can say my justification for getting rid of it is because it's bad. Yeah. And all of these other people have told me that it's bad. Okay, so there's a lot of layering on. And when we can strip off the layer that I heard all the other people tell me that it's bad, and I don't have to listen to them, I can decide for myself that it's bad. But really what's going on, and it's not so bad, is that I just don't like it. And if I think about it, I might even find some kind of advantage in it. There's an advantage in growing old. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. In fact, you'll be very lucky if you grow old. Because your other option is to be dead before you grow old. And I think that you would rather grow old than not grow old now that you think about it in that case. Sure. People who don't want to grow old 
that means that they're willing to die early, I guess. And then they say, oh, no, <laughs> no, I don't want to grow old and I don't want to die. All right. Yeah. yeah. But you're going to die. Guess yeah. what? Some place between growing old and dying, you're going to get sick. That's why you die. The best yeah. way to die is from being sick. Because the only other way to die is by being wounded. Yeah, okay. Okay, so which would you rather die from, being sick or wounded? Uh, sick. Let's go sick. Okay, well, we started off in this that you were already attached to, to health, and now I've gotten you uh, willing to admit that you want to die by being sick. Uh, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't know. We could get into like some counter examples there, maybe. Like, what if I get like decapitated and it's really painless? Or like I get okay. the lethal injection. And it's All really right. Painless. Well, now you're rethinking it as if you would rather die by being executed. Or it's, for example. But they don't generally execute really, really old men. They, rec they uh, execute guys i guess at about the ripe old age of about 60 because that's they're also at their height of their power that's when they get get tagged but it's younger than that yeah so if you choose uh death by decapitation more than likely you're going to be quite young okay but let's say i'm not 100 percent sold on the idea what if i'm not 100 percent convinced i want to grow old all what right. if I'm not 100% decided? Maybe I'm like, maybe, maybe, would maybe dying young wouldn't be bad. How about that? Okay. As a concept, I can appreciate that. Mm -hmm. But let us say that you had a choice now of dying or dying tomorrow, just 24 hours to live. Would you rather go ahead and be killed now or have 24 more hours to live? Mm, that's a good point. Probably pick okay. tomorrow. At what age are you going to stop that idea? Probably at the age that I'm so sick or wounded that I want to die instantly. Ah, until you do <laughs> want to die because you don't like what? Living. Well, Being no, in pain. maybe it's Being that pain. you do still want to live, it's that you don't like the pain. Yeah, the pain. Or you don't yeah. like the fact that you're bed bound and you can't get up and the body won't do what you want it to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or that you're losing your mind completely, but those people who have lost their mind completely don't know that they've lost their mind completely. They've even lost that. <laughs> yeah. But still, we care for people who have lost their mind and mm -hmm. we do care for people who are bed bound. Because even people who are bedbound and have lost their mind, they still want to live just a little longer. Okay, sure. So we all cling to this life stuff, and yet eventually we lose it. How long can we cling? So this is the point then now, is to understand that there is old age sickness and death coming if you're lucky. Sure, okay. Okay. And the question is, are you going to be ready for that when it happens? It's a good question. Yeah, that's what the teaching of the Buddha is all about, is knowing that old age sickness and death are coming. Let's get ready for it so we can handle that stuff really well.
when it happens. Okay. Okay, so and the first thing that we can do with that is to recognize right this very minute, I'm alive. Yeah. And I feel good. Yeah. And in that case, old is irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so this is what we're going to practice, is practice appreciative of being alive right here, right now. Rather than concerned about what's going to happen in the future, because they're dead certain anyway. Dead certain. <laughs> OK, OK, I, I follow you so far, OK? And I kind of got that from our last few talks, and that really helped me to, uh, to, to learn to just l adopt the moment, forget about past and future. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, OK, let's say like I'm addicted to cigarettes, right? All right. I'm addicted to cigarettes. And uh, like that's going to make my life significantly worse. And I do it. And I feel like if I don't. If I don't worry about it somewhat or think about it, or if I don't have some sort of negative association with that then it's just going to get worse and worse. I'm not going to improve the habit. Mm -hmm. okay. That's like that's like roughly that's like roughly my one kind of thing. That would stop me. I, I would recommend that you look to find out that that's not the only thing. That there's a lot of other mental habits that we have besides smoking tobacco. But you can use smoking tobacco and the word you used was addiction to it. And in fact, what's really going on is, is that when you smoke, you like it. Yeah. And when you're not smoking, you don't like it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. OK, so you have gratification then by lighting up. This is the, uh, the first point in the in the teaching of the Buddha in this uh, particular teaching is the gratification. Yeah. But you've also now spoken with me already that you're beginning to understand at least and you want to push them away the dangers. But you know that there are dangers in this gratification of smoking. Yeah. And you're also looking at the fact that there may be some time when you will quit smoking and when you do at that time, you will in certain moments and points of time regret that that you want a cigarette really badly sure. even though you're quitting okay so uh the question now is how long is it going to take or what event is going to happen from the time now that you've gotten just a kind of opening idea about its dangers until you really see the dangers enough to you wake up some people have to hit rock bottom. Some people are coughing on their way to the doctor who then diagnoses them with uh, cancer of the lungs. And they didn't know it until it was too late. And the doctor says, you've got to quit smoking right now. Are you going to die? No, yeah. And some of them will will on like their last few days of being alive at the hospital go outside and smoke a cigarette because they love it that much. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Love it. Okay. Are they want it? They enjoy it. 
Well, they want it. They're attached to it. Well, they want it because it's a habit. Okay. Yes, the, the attachment would be the clinging, but you're missing the part that they do the clinging to it, the attachment to it, or what you're calling the addiction to it, is because mm -hmm. they like it and they want it. Right. Yeah. That's the important thing is to recognize this liking and wanting because this is the place in the Paticca Sanupada where Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa especially recommends wisdom at the point of contact so that you can see these feelings of liking and not liking so that then you can make a choice as to whether you're going to go down the path of ignorance from I like it to I want it. Okay. Okay. There, in fact, a little story is about Achan Samedo and Achan Cha were at a particular ceremony where all of the young women were dressed up in their nicest. And I won't go into the details. No. But Achan Cha asked Achan Samedo, what do you think? And Achan uh, Samedo said, I like it, but I don't want it. Okay, I'm with you there. There, that's the whole point, is, is that you can say that you don't um, like. Yeah, that's, that's what addiction is. Addiction is right. you something like. you do that you, you don't want to like do. It, but you keep wanting to do it. So yeah. can you break that habit now at the point of help mm -hmm. in the sense of, I would like to stay healthy, but I don't want to stay healthy. Because I know I'm going to get sick. I like it because I am healthy now. Let me celebrate that right now and come back to this present moment and celebrate what I do have because yeah. I do like it rather than painting over that I am going to lose it or that I want it. And when I am sick, I can say, yeah, I would like being healthy, but I don't want to be healthy. Because right now I can enjoy being sick. Okay, sure. <laughs> because if you are sick and you want to be healthy, now that's in, that's suffering, that's dukkha, wanting to have something that you don't have. Right, yeah. Brother, just I would like to be healthy, but if I'm sick, I'll just accept that I'm sick. Yeah. Then I can do something about it. If I don't want to be sick, then I'll try to ignore the sickness. But if I am sick and I know that I'm sick and it's okay that I'm sick, and now I can really take care of myself. One of the ways for, in fact, that people have a head cold is to really start paying attention to the head cold to work at it to keep the sinuses cleaned out. Yeah. Right, to keep instead of sniffling and ignoring it and having a handkerchief or whatever, no, you want to actually go and do the things necessary to get all that stuff out. Then a little while later, oh, it's blocked again. Let me go get all that stuff out again. Yeah. And so we cure and we clean and we, and we uh, check on it. And then the sickness doesn't last so long because we're not trying to push it away or ignoring it. In fact, we're confronting it directly. In a way, we like it in the sense of now this is a new challenge. Yeah. 
Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it in the sense that when we are sick, that's a wonderful opportunity to practice. Totally. So now we got some real heavy weights to lift. Now we can get really strong. Yeah. So this is another way of teaching the Dhamma is to go right into the Paticca Samuppada because if we can understand the benefits from seeing things like this, now we can begin to practice Anapanasati with the, um, let us say, the strong intention of really getting the value out of it because old age is unavoidable. Sickness is unavoidable. Death is unavoidable, but misery is optional. And that the misery comes from trying to protect the self from having to experience old age sickness and death. In fact, there's really no self to protect, and you're not going to protect that self from those things. What you could do is to give up on that self and start working directly with the feelings. And the feelings are, I like it, I don't like it, or I'm not sure. And so we can start to practice Anapanasati like this, is to keep track of how we feel, keep track of knowing that we can feel the way that we want to feel, but we can, in fact, get ourselves in the state of nice liking. Yeah, we have to practice doing that, liking what is right now, as opposed to wanting something and be and say, I like that, but I don't have it. So what we do have right this very moment is what can be appreciated. And one of the things that you have right now is being alive. And being safe and secure, you are actually safe and secure right here, right now. There is nothing in that room that's dangerous. Uh-huh. But we have to keep remembering that. Yeah. That you are in good health right now. Let's appreciate that. You look marvelous right now. Thank you. But. But. But you, you do this. You do this. <laughs> You do this, you remind yourself that you're happy with everything as it is. You don't fight what is. But but you also got to like try to quit smoking, right? Ah, but now you talked about quitting smoking in the sense At the same of time. As a concept, as a long process. Hmm. What you can say instead is I don't need that cigarette right now to be happy i can be happy without it let me take a really deep breath as if i were taking a huge drag on a a, a cigarette mm -hmm. without the smoke maybe you're addicted to taking deep breaths instead yeah and you're just putting the uh, the smoke in it optionally yeah wow <laughs> uh, 
And so let's not use tobacco as a concept and quitting smoking as a long-term concept. Let's start thinking about it in this moment when the thought or the urge or the desire for the cigarette comes up right here, right now. Wakey, wakey. Instead of just following that urge and getting the cigarette mindlessly, let's take a moment to relax. And say, I'll, I'll have that cigarette in five minutes. And then forget all about it. And maybe you'll forget about it for 15 minutes instead. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the way out of sight, out of mind. And so you keep pushing the thought of the cigarette out of the mind with the thought of. Ah, right now, I don't need it. I can do without it right now. Yeah, I see that pack of cigarettes on the other side of the room. So that's the first way to do it. And the second one is, is that when you do finish that pack of cigarettes, don't go buy anymore. The next time that you have the urge to go buy the cigarettes, you can say, well, right now I can do without it. I'll go buy that pack of cigarettes later. Yeah. So you start postponing it by setting things straight right here, right now. Because right here, right now, you're okay without that cigarette. Right here, right now, the only thing you need is a breath. Everything else can wait, but you can't stop breathing or you'll be dead in two minutes. So you do need to do that to let's enjoy the freaking heck out of it. Yeah. yeah. This is Anathanasati is to remember to come back into the present moment joyfully, happily, in great celebration and gratitude that this is it. This is all you're ever going to get. That's Anapanasati. You just remind yourself to be happy. To be happy over and over and over again. It has to be repetitive. Let us say it like this. <laughs> My favorite expression. For your whole life, you've been talking yourself into feeling bad. Now it's time for you to talk yourself into feeling good. Right now, over and over again. To start appreciating what we do have. Being alive is the best one. Being able yeah. to breathe and to feel good and feel relaxed. To feel safe and secure and satisfied and mm -hmm. successful. And now we've got that feeling stuff wired right up. These are the poly words of Titi and Sukha. Mm -hmm. To feel good. And by the way, Sukha is exactly the opposite of Dukkha. So Dukkha Naroda means to get yourself into a state of Sukha. And how do we do that? We talk ourselves into it. That's the step of Anapanasati called gladdening the mind. Mm -hmm. It's also the process of throwing the hindrances out, and it's also the process of taking unwholesome thoughts out and putting wholesome thoughts in the mind. This is actually yeah. a very easy process. We just have so many different languages for it that people think that there's a lot of different things to do. So in fact, no, it's just very simple. Very simple complex or con a concept of just Stop thinking about whatever is not right here, including your own old age, sickness, and death, 
and come back with the grand appreciation. But right now, everything's okay. Everything is fine. Yeah. Over and over and over again, we practice that. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. No place to go. Nothing to do. And it's best to do that in seclusion rather than being around a lot of people and say, up two, three, four, you got to go. This is a place to go. We got to go do that. We got to do this. We got, you know, just over and over again. That's how you're going to meet people. And that's what you do with uh, in conversations with people. The plan work to do. Or sharing the past. Telling stories. Right, so. Let's stop telling the stories to ourselves when we're sitting quietly. And let's stop planning for the future and just sit with the kind of wholesome thoughts. That are free from the past and the future, empty of that kind of stuff. But not completely empty because they're joyful, they're happy. And we're talking about what's happening right here, right now. As we're breathing in, breathing out. And allow yourself to feel really good. How good can you feel? Or a better question is, how good would you like to feel if you could feel the way you wanted to feel? Mm. Because you can't feel the way you want to feel. All you have to do is figure out how you want to feel and then figure out how to do that. And I've already just given you that. So you talk to yourself about how good you want to feel and you'll start to feel that way. Just like you've been talking yourself into feeling bad by giving yourself a lot of rules and a lot of stuff to do, a lot of failures, a lot of high bars that you didn't make, telling yourself to go do stuff that you really don't want to do. Mm. Like quit smoking. Right now, you're just telling yourself to quit smoking, but you really don't want to quit. <laughs> Not until you see directly the dangers in it. And the more that you can see the danger, or you, just the danger enough, instead of, sort of, instead of talking about quitting smoking altogether, let's just say we'll wait on this one right now. We don't have to even not smoke this cigarette. We can just simply wait and not now. Not now what? Not, not now, light up and take a puff. Not now, take a drag. Okay, okay. Okay, even if you've already got the cigarette lit and it's between your fingers and it's sitting here, you can look at that cigarette and says, not now, I'm not going to take another drag. I'm going to take a deep breath instead. And then later, you could say, all right, not now. Well, yeah, now, but a little bit. Now, <laughs> okay, and so you can start making a game out of it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a big, heavy deal. Big, heavy deal about it is all the rules that you're carrying around. So as you're seeing the danger of it, when you begin to taste the cigarette smoke and recognize that you really don't like it sometimes, then you can deal with it at that level. Moment in this moment, what's going on? How do you like that cigarette? How do you like it? 
beginning to understand that you might have a love-hate relationship with it also. Yeah. And the more you discover and the more you investigate, the more disliking will tip the scale. That is something to be avoided, that is not wholesome. But that's up to you. You'll figure that out. All you have to do is just pay attention to your relationship with that cigarette right here, right now. But wouldn't it be more ideal if you immediately quit and spared yourself all the extra negative effect on your like body of all the cigarettes you smoked in the process of finding out? Wouldn't that just be better if you used willpower and just stop? I don't know how your willpower works. In fact, maybe your willpower doesn't have as much effect as you think it does. And to now you're going to be disappointed in that willpower. Yeah, yeah, but, but let's say you've been successfully, playing the game all along. Let's Enjoy say you successfully stop. Instead of using willpower to quit, use it right now. Well, I can wait right now without this cigarette. Willpower would say that you never can have that cigarette. And then you'll want it. And now you're going to war yourself within the want of the cigarette and the willpower that says, no, you can't have it. Let's not have that internal struggle. Let's make a game out of this. Make it easy. Okay. Okay. But what if you succeed? What if you meet, what if you successfully just willpower or whatever you got to do? Like, what if you just stop smoking or eating cheeseburgers or whatever, whatever it is? When you haven't done it yet. If you do that, come back and gloat and I'll cheer you. Okay. But I bet you can't do it so easily. I bet it's going to be a lot of difficult work for you. And you can make it a game instead and get the same results at the same speed, but make it easy on yourself. But in the process, you're harming yourself. In the process of willing yourself to do something you don't want to do also has a negative effect upon you. But it's good for you independently of what you want or or well now you're telling you're trying to convince me of <laughs> wait a minute i don't get this why don't you convince yourself then <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Now, here's the point, uh, Daniel, is, is that this whole issue of cigarette smoking that we've been talking about for the past 30 minutes is, in fact, a metaphor. Yeah. For all of the other stuff that when you begin to see the gratification that you're getting and then you begin to wake up to the dangers of it, then you can plot your escape. And that's already what we've been doing with the tobacco is the plotting of the escape. And you're saying, hey, I could just bust out of that prison immediately, just jump right out. Yeah. And I'm trying to point out to you that, yeah, you might be able to uh, uh, jump right out of that prison, but the prison guards are going to be chasing you down. Yeah. Yeah. And so you can make a game out of that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So if you can jump out of that prison, you can jump out of any other prison, any psychological prison. If you can jump out of the prison of the tobacco, then you can jump out of the prison of the fear 
that we talked about earlier. You can jump out of the prison of um, argument, argue, arguing with people. You can jump out of the prison of um, uh, shoplifting if that's what you do. You can jump out of any prison when you begin to see the dangers, then you can plot your escape. Mm. And the more the danger is seen, then the more the plotting to escape becomes very quick. This is one of the reasons why they talk about, especially in AA, about the alcoholics coming to AA when they hit bottom. Yeah. That that skid roll. Okay. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that there is a bottom or that it's, uh, um, they can't go any lower. It's that whatever they did hit was a rock in the sense that they crash landed. Mm -hmm. So you can crash land onto the top of a mountain or you can crash land in the valley. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it doesn't matter what rock bottom means. What it means is, is there's a rock. Yeah. And so when you hit it, that means that now you see the danger. You've crash landed into the danger. Mm -hmm. You didn't see the danger coming in order to avoid it. So the whole point about Anapanasati is to wake up to the dangers, for instance, of tobacco before it, you hit rock bottom, like being diagnosed with some disease that is associated with tobacco. That's when people hit rock bottom. And some people don't quit smoking then, as you say. Right. That their rock bottom is not rocky enough until it is the bottom. And that's the grave. Yeah. So are you going to be hitting rock bottoms and continuing? Are you going to be hitting rock bottoms and learn? Or are you going to start learning before you hit rock bottom? Or can you learn on the downhill slide before you actually bottom out? That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. This is what Anapanasati is, is let's see those thoughts as they arise when they're just little thoughts without them having become great big actions. An example of that is a whole lot harder to put out a cigarette that's already lit than it is to just not take that cigarette. Mm -hmm. Just, okay, not now. Wait a minute. I'll have you later. I'll go put the cigarettes in the other room so I won't even think about it. And then when that pain in the chest comes for that cigarette, because it's almost always a, a nickel or a niggle right in here. Have you experienced that? When do you, when you want a cigarette, how do you know you want a cigarette? What's the thought that comes with the warning of the cigarette? Um, well, I don't smoke cigarettes, just an example. But if I want oh. some... <laughs> well, as you can tell by the experience and the way that I'm talking, that I'm an ex-smoker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so when that when that feeling in the chest comes up high sure. here is where it that that feeling of the tobacco. It's just taking a deep breath into that feeling. 
interesting without having to get the cigarette but we can still use this as a metaphor is beginning to check when you have the idea that you want to go do something check your body first to see that if in fact there's some anxiety in there that you could breathe into sure yeah so that you don't have to go do any and everything that you think of doing and let things rest okay. no place to go and nothing to do think things through Look closely. Yeah. I mean, I could apply that to my own version of smoking, which would be like negative thinking or, you know, like like watching too much TV or something. Exactly. That's what it's all about. That's why I was willing to talk about tobacco as a metaphor. Yeah. Because it's true about everything. That we be that we talk, think of something. Generally, we we can have a, a feeling or an inclination or a niggle or a, a, a and that gives rise to the thought, and then the thrice of that thought gives rise to the feeling of the desire of I want it, I like it, and I want it. Mm-hmm. That happens with everything, not just tobacco. It happens with everything. Yeah, anything. And so the uh, actually process of Anapanasati is getting the mind sharp and fit for work so that we can see that sequence of our own minds. As well as learn to manage those feelings so that we can feel the way that we want to feel. By remembering. By remembering a sati to wake up, to take a look at what's going on. Feeling here, feeling what's going on in the mind. Check it out. The next yep. thing to do is, is to gladden the mind by taking that deep breath with the happy thought. Yeah. Yeah. And we keep doing those three things over and over again. Right effort to gladden the mind, take a deep breath, and eventually we get the attitude that we can do this and we begin to change that old negative attitude of being a loser. So that we can have the attitude of what? Old age? Nothing to it. I can handle that. Being sick? Yeah, I know how to do that. I can do that too. Dying? I'll give that a go someday. But I would counter that by saying most people, or I'd say like a lot of people are afraid of those things. But uh, you're probably, I know what you're going to say in response to this. <laughs> Most people are worried about how their life goes like before those things happen, and they're like pretty acceptant of those. But I think what you're going to say is that fear of how your life goes stems from those things or something like that, right? Mm, right. Ultimately, that's the big heavy stuff. But everything can be an example of old age, sickness, and death. Right. Things get old. You get yeah. bored, okay? Yeah. When you're bored, you've gotten old. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, have you ever heard of sick and tired, of being sick and tired? Yeah, of course. Okay, that means that you really don't like something. Like the Democrats are really sick and tired of the Republicans. They just don't like them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they could don't like them happily. They don't have to don't like them so the point to making themselves sick and tired of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Old age, sickness, and death. 
And what about losing stuff? Anything that you wanted that you got, now you've got to keep it preciously because someday you're going to lose it. This laptop is going to die. This laptop's going to die. The yeah. truck is going to die. The dog is going to die. Everything mm -hmm. that I'm dear to is going to die. The only way that I'm going to prevent it from dying on me is me die on it. That's the only choice. So there's going to be a lot of death in your life. You're going to miss a lot of stuff. When when you finish high school, high school's dead. Sometimes right. we celebrate death. Boy, are we glad that's over. <laughs> <laughs> but things are dying on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah, and we, so many times we don't like it. So yeah. if you can handle getting ready for your own death, then you can handle getting ready and, and handling all the things that are going to die between now and the time that the physical body dies. There's mm -hmm. going to be losses. And one of the ways of looking at that is, is that if you like something and then you want it and you really want it and you cling to it in the sense that now you're going to go take all of the effort that it takes to get it, considerable effort you're not free from that that that's a debt that you owe and you've got to pay it in order to get that which you want your heart's desire then you get it now that you've got your heart's desire you know how precious it is you know how valuable it is you know how much work it took to get it so now you're going to do what you can to maintain it you got to work really hard to do that because you like it so much but no matter how much you maintain it or how well you take care of it or how attached to it you're still going to lose it and it's gone. And so now you feel really miserable because it's gone. Yeah, but what if you benefited from all that hard work? You can't lose the. Well, that was the uh, the gratitude. Yes, you have that uh, that. But uh, the wanting it. Was Duca. Maintaining it was Duca. And losing it was Duca. And you were willing to put up with the dukkha up until a point, until you hit rock bottom, because you were seeing some advantage in the dukkha. We've already talked about that. Yes, the reason that we do all of that is because we cease an advantage. The, the king feels really safe and secure because he's got a vault full of gold. Yeah. Until he goes down to that vault and finds out it's been pilfered. Mm -hmm. Then he feels really bad. Yeah, but he felt really good with his own thought that I've got that gold where in fact the gold is already gone. Yeah. So, yeah, he had gratification of the knowledge that the gold was there, but the the gratification came from the knowledge of the gold or what was between his ears anyway. If you can understand that, then you can understand that. The gratification that one gets is not from the object of one's desire. The gratification is how we choose to feel. Mm -hmm. And we choose to feel gratified when we've got the, the thing. And when uh, we don't have it, then we think that our gratification depended upon that object when we lose it. For in fact, the gratification can remain up to you. Your choice. Mm-hmm. That our mind is not, um, let us say, uh, that which it attaches to. 
so an example of that would be a car that while you've got the car, you've got transportation. But you really want that transportation and you really try to keep that transportation, which means now you got to pay all of this money from time to time to keep the car serviced so that you can keep it maintaining in transportation. And even after a few years, you begin to look at that car as ugly. Now you still want transportation, but not that car. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's the transportation that we lust for not the car itself. Yeah. And when we recognize that I don't have to lust for transportation, I can be happy right where I am. I don't have to transport myself someplace else to be happy. Now we're getting back down to the more fundamentals of it, to just all about the mind. It's not about the gratification that we got from a physical object that we're probably going to lose anyway. And mm -hmm. so that means that we don't attach to physical objects so much with great glee and great uh, joy because we know that we will then have great grief when we lose that physical object. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yes, that's the whole point of Anapanasati, beginning to recognize that it's not the object that makes us feel good, that it's the choice that we make about feeling good based upon a set of standards. And when we change those standards, we can begin to feel good directly without having to rely upon physical goods to get it. Mm -hmm. mm. This is what the real practice of Anapanasati is, is to actually practice that to practice getting our benefit and our good feelings directly inside the, our own mind by practicing rather than by chasing things on the outside world to try to get our satisfaction and our joy. That we can just be satisfied and joyful if we practice. But what if you do that and all the things you thought you should be doing just starts like slipping away? Well, that's just another unwholesome thought, isn't it? Yeah, but what if because it happens? Because in fact, things don't slip away, and if they did, they're slipping out of my grasp or my clinging. So <laughs> let's look at the clinging instead yeah, right. of looking at the object. Mm -hmm. Because in fact, the fear that you're expressing right now is just a concept. That things don't slip out of your hands. That you're, if you are mindful, you're much less likely to get robbed than if you're haphazard and sloppy with the ownership of your goods. If you don't own so much, then it is easier to keep track of and take care of that which you own. But if you're really greedy for having a whole lot of stuff, then uh, then you lose track of it out of sight, out of mind again. And now you don't even know what you have. And sometimes you go dig that old laptop up thinking that it's going to be fine and spit dead meat, got ants in it or something. Yeah. Okay. So, um, recognizing that material goods then is not what's making you happy anyway. And so then we begin to look for an easier way out. 
that it's a hard way out to think that I'm going to get all of my satisfaction from all of these material goods. If I have fewer goods, then it's easier for me to maintain satisfaction. And so I should be looking for my bottom line instead of my top line. In other words, what's the least amount I can get away with without feeling suffering? But you know, okay. Well, when I mentioned things slipping away, like I'm worried, oh, I start practicing Anapadasati and I'm like more focused with just being mindful and just making myself happy. I didn't mean like material things. I meant like, like what if you become like a less hard worker? <laughs> okay. Or something like that. Who told you that you should work hard? I don't know. It's a, I don't know. Society. Who told you that there was any advantage in working hard? Um, Perhaps you could be just as productive if you enjoyed what you were doing rather than making it hard work. Then, in fact, I would rather have a driver who was mindful of his driving rather than someone who was working hard at it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have somebody looking at what they're doing. Yeah. Do you know that in fact the rich who do have chauffeurs, there's one kind of chauffeur that they would prefer to have above all others. And that is someone who has retired from the race circuit, most specifically Formula One racing, and they have that all over the world, you know. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so there's literally hundreds of guys who have tried it and gone into these races and then decided it was too much for them. But those are the guys that the rich and famous want to have as their chauffeurs. Why is that? You know why? Because well, people who are out doing Formula One racing, they have to be able to look at what they're doing. Otherwise, yeah. they're dead. We didn't say that we're going to hire for a show for someone who died on the racetrack. <laughs> yeah. <that laughs> Which is what would happen with almost most of the uh, chauffeurs. You put most of the chauffeurs of the world or most of the taxi cab drivers out on the, of the world and put them out on the Formula One racer course, they'll kill each other. Yeah. Yeah. So you want somebody who's really watching the road, who really knows what he's doing, who's had some experience at driving really fast so that he knows how to do that because they're make, they make the very best drivers even in regular traffic because they're watching the road. They're paying attention to what they're doing. Yeah, makes sense. So don't work hard, work smart. Look at what you're doing, pay attention. Okay. And give up all the hard in your work. Make it a toy. Make it a joy. Not an effort. Not a chore. Um, so I was watching some videos from some monks. Oh yeah. Okay. So I had to. I have to go. Like in twenty minutes. So I wanted to talk about two things. So, oh, 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 here, here, here.
So here's the first thing I wanted to show you. I found this Wikipedia page. Uh, okay. So this is a, a passage from the suttas. I'm trying to see which one. Oh yeah, this complete. So it's a list. It's one of the Buddha's lists. Uh, repeated several times in the Diga Nikaya. And it occurs in like a bunch of the suttas anyway. So the list is called list of games the Buddha would not play. <laughs> okay. So the first one, I'm going to read all of them. First game, games on boards with eight or ten rows. This okay. is not to refer to. I know. What's that? Okay. Right. You're talking about chess and checkers. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't play. You wouldn't play chess. Games. Right. Games played on imaginary boards. Okay. Uh, games of marking diagrams on the floor such that okay. the player I can only walk on certain places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Children's so games, hockey. right. Okay. Yeah. Tic tac toe or uh, hopscotch. Yeah. Games where players either move pieces from a pile or add pieces to it. Oh, like tender links. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like tender links. Games of throwing dice. Uh, dipping the hand with the fingers stretched out in a lac or red dye and striking the wet hand on the ground or on a wall, calling out, what shall it be, and showing the form required. So kind of like, yeah. like yeah, a, Okay, those that's... kind of games, uh-huh. Ball games, he wouldn't play ball games. Uh, blowing through like a toy pipe made out of leaves, he wouldn't do that. Plowing with a toy plow which is okay, like playing, yeah, okay, playing with toy windmills, playing with toy measures, playing with toy carts, playing with toy bows, guessing at letters traced within the air or or on a friend's back with, like, your hand, mm -hmm. guessing a friend's thoughts, wouldn't do that. And the last one is a game where you imitate a deformity, which that one kind of makes the most sense. Well, they're all uh, games designed to occupy one's time. They almost all have, in fact, it sounds like all have the idea of a winner or a loser or competition. He said, he said disciples, he, we, he would not play and disciples should not play because he believed them to be a cause for negligence. Yes. Yeah. So what's your question? There's no question. I thought that was just interesting. Oh, okay. Or you know what? Yes. You know what's, what's it has to do with competition. It has to do with wasting time trying to feel good about making points by winning the game. Yeah, but uh playing tag or playing children's games. You don't play those games now yourself, I assume. But I know people like adults like Adults who play those. <laughs> yes, I know, right, Bridge? 
I know all about Boris Spassky and Bobby Fischer and all kinds of chess champions and that yeah. kind of stuff. So Bobby what? Fischer. Those are ordinary people doing ordinary things that they did when they were children. Bobby Fischer was playing chess when he was five years old. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In this, in the Christian uh, Pauline letters, there is the passage about when I was a child, I played with child's toys, and when I'm adult, I put away those childish things. In the Bible? Yeah. It's in the letters of Paul. Put away childish toys. Well, the Buddha, most adults don't play those childish toys, those childish games. But many people do. And others will play uh, watching a lot of television with a lot of excitement and joy. Others watch movies. There's all kinds of things that people do for entertainment. When in fact, the best entertainment is what's happening within your own mind. To read the book between your ears rather than one that's bound with ink and paper. <laughs> paying attention to the reality of what's going on around us without having to create a reality. Yeah, but uh, isn't that kind of extreme? Like, shouldn't people watch TV if they want or like whatever? Well, uh, people who were not interested in TV. Or, or, for example, like anything or like one of these games, like playing soccer. Okay, so the Buddha didn't play soccer. What's your question? <laughs> question. Huh? Or the question you... is, yeah, like that strikes me as kind of odd. Like, okay, fine, he's the Buddha, so he's time well, sensitive. He's got to spread the Dharma. That there, there is going to always be layers of society. Mm-hmm. And that the layer that the Buddha is talking about, the layer up at the top is what is called a noble. Yeah. All right. Now, the word Aryan, um, we, we also could be talk about high class, upright. Mm -hmm. A person who is superior to other people in his thoughts, in his deeds, and the way he lives his life is better than others. He doesn't rub it in because that would be what other people would do if they would be better. And so yeah. he's not rubbing it in. He's just better than they are because he doesn't play the games that they play, either psychological or board chess games. He doesn't compete with others. He's generally not in business. And he is aloof to the world, doesn't play the games of the world, doesn't play political games, doesn't care about who uh, votes for whom, but he understands the show. Yep. He's, he's there just to enjoy the show without having to create a show. Shakespeare has said, all the world's a stage and each one of us is a player. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Okay. yeah. 
you have probably also can understand that not only is everyone standing on their own imaginary stage, but they're reading a script mm -hmm. because they don't have the lines memorized yet. And so they're reading a script. Yeah. That script that they're reading is the thought patterns that are habitual. In other words, we're reading the script that we were given when we were kids. And when we wake up to the fact that we're only standing on stage reading the script, we can stop reading that script and do what we want to do instead. And one of the things that we can do is get off the stage, go sit in the audience, because the audience is quite empty now because everybody else is up on stage reading their script. Okay, so that up there on the stage reading the script is playing chess, operating uh, tiddlywinks, playing dice, playing board games, cheating in business, going into politics, whatever their game is. Yeah, we could be above that. Now, the question not is uh, in a great big general sense as a huge concept. But rather, right here, right now, you have a choice. Are you going to be on stage? Are you going to be not on stage? Are you going to be on stage right now reading your script? Or can you set that script down and just enjoy the show? Yeah. Yeah. But we a have to, while. we got to emphasize, though, that strictly speaking, this is just if you practice Buddhism. Right. Well, we're talking about not who can practice it or those who have heard about it or even those who don't. We're talking about those who actually are skilled at it. Right. The development of the skills to be above it all. Because your whole society and everyone in it from childhood is taught to be in the world. But here's and that kind of leads to my second question a bit, which is about. Um, like monasticism, being a monk. And the main critique that lay people have of monks is that, oh, which I kind of I have a hard time dis or arguing against. As a person who's firmly. Just in the world, you know. Society or whatever, the argument against monk monk life is is like oh you're retreating from the world sure and you're, you're really yeah yeah which you are but it's more it's more meritable to like face the world and like be very skilled or whatever ah oh, according, according to someone's rules yeah yeah Right, according, right. To, according someone's to someone's idea, idea and, and that's, that's the idea, idea that they're, they're stuck with, oh, they, they think it is more noble to get stuck in the dirt. Yeah. And so, so they want I'm... the monks to go get stuck in their dirt. So that's and, what I'm and saying. monks are not going to do it. That's, that's their belief, and this is Buddhism belief, or whoever believes this belief. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not a belief. It's a waking up to see that all those beliefs are dangerous. But isn't that a OK, but isn't that a belief? No. Not at all a belief. Don't believe in belief. Believe in investigation. 
If I don't know it for sure, then I'm not going to believe it. I don't accept things. I can remain unsure, happily so. Okay. Well, I know for sure because of repeated investigation. But isn't then retreating not the best way to find out? Isn't going out and experiencing the world, like facing the world, the only way to know that it's like it's nothing? Are you saying that you want me to tell you some place to go and to do something? No, no I'm saying for I'm anybody. I'm teaching you to go live your life and do it with a full investigation. And you're asking about the outcome of that. Yeah. Perhaps a better question would, would be, have you been in the world? The answer is yes. Have you been in retreat? The answer is yes. I've seen it from both sides. And in fact, I've retired from both sides. Oh, yeah, that's the other question I had. So I was watching some videos who of some monks who live in Serbia, and they're also Thai forest tradition. Like ordained, were you ordained by Thai forest monks? In Thailand, yes, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, sure. Okay. What would I recommend to the monks in Serbia? Well, they get out. Very... Serbia is a dangerous place right now. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But they're they're very ascetic. They're like practicing all the beliefs of Buddha. Like, yeah, there's a lot of monks who do a lot of believing, like chastity, like a lot of dogma. I want to say dogma, like a lot of. Um... Okay. There's a lot of dogma in in Western Buddhism. Yeah, but they were the dogma Western, of Western Buddhism came from Christianity. The dogma they were trained by in the minds of the people who came to Buddhism. It wasn't in Buddhism to begin with. But these guys were trained by by Thai guys, and and they're I just know following that they were trained by Thai guys. I understand yeah. this tradition very well. What's your question? Well, they're they're strictly following just like the suttas, like they're like being chastity. They're doing all this stuff like like they're they're very em emphatic on okay, solitude. What's your question about you? <laughs> I don't know. Or I guess my question's about you. So are you like formally practicing monk or are you just like a guy? I'm just a guy. I'm just a good friend. And I'm why did you just a wise old man? That's all you need to know. So why don't you uh, why why don't you live like a monk anymore? Well, I do live like a monk anymore. Yeah, but like not like super strictly, I imagine, right? Well, I never lived really strictly in the first place. I wasn't trained to be really strictly. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in really strictly. I believe in easy, easy peasy, but I don't believe in easy peasy. I'm just quite experienced at it.
I guess my question is, how can you be, how can anyone be sure? Like, how can by you say? investigation, whatever it is that they're not sure of, it needs to be investigated. Mm -hmm. Perhaps thoroughly investigated. Yeah, but isn't that kind of limitless? Ah, uh, no, your fear and your doubts and your questions. There's no end to that. Yeah. Until there is an end to it. Yeah. If you start working with the fear directly rather than with the questions. And work with the fear directly, then you there's an end to it. You can just put it aside. Mm -hmm. Don't have to be afraid. And those, in fact, who are afraid are the ones who want to do things strictly. And in fact, doing things strictly or thinking strictly is the reason for the fear. When we stop being strictly with our stuff, start being easy, then the fear will melt away. And just strictly is coming from because they really want something like enlightenment. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's yeah, what these yeah. these Serbian guys are about. They're like, yeah, oh, they strictly want something really badly. Although because if you ask them, it, if you if you said get it, they think yeah. that they're going to the more strict they get, the more likely they're going to get it. And in fact, the more strict they are, the less likely they're going to get it. Yeah. But in fact, being strict is heavy, and the whole point of enlightenment is to be light. So strictness is going in the wrong direction of freedom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yes, there's a lot of people who become monks and ordain and this, that, and the other tradition, and then they practice the wrong things and wind up being very good at something that's just quite ordinary. Being very strict is a very ordinary thing to do. Many totalitarian governments are very strict. So a lot of rules. What are you calling? Modern religions are very strict. They set a lot of rules. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, what are you calling uh, the wrong things in terms of like monks who ordain or like Western monks? If you don't want anything, you're not going to harm someone. If you want things and you want to be a monk strictly, then you have to resist all your tendencies. But that's dukkha. To want something very badly, but you restrain yourself from doing it because you're being very strict. But if you didn't want anything at all, then you don't have to be strict because you're not trying to break any rules because you don't have any rules. They're easy now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the strict is something that young monks do, new monks, children. Playing with tiddlywinks and chess pieces very strictly in their minds. 
Yeah. Buddha doesn't play those games anymore, even the game of being strict. And being more strict than someone else, being perfectly strict, being champion strict. <laughs> yeah, but then what do you say to all like the rules and ideas that he's put out there to like strictly follow? He didn't say to strictly follow them. That that's your idea. But there's like moments. Patty Mork has got a lot of the Patty Mork has to do. In fact, I would say uh, more than 50 of the rules have to do with dinner etiquette. About when to wipe your hands and how to hold the bowl and all of that, which is very practical stuff. This is the kind of stuff that you learned in your um, uh, world is how to use silverware properly. How to hold the fork, how to hold the spoon, all of that kind of stuff is just trivial. And then there's some very important things. That in fact, when a monk is ordained, he's only regarded as the four parajikas. Anyone when he's ordained, that's all they have is the original parajikas, the very big things, and then all the other stuff as added as guidance and training rules mm -hmm. an example would be that two monks don't trash a third monk we don't gossip we don't uh stay derogatory we don't talk down uh or trash other people why because it's a rule for some but for others if I don't have any trash thoughts about someone, then I'm not going to have any trash language about someone. Yeah. So, which is now, is it a rule, you thou shalt not trash talk, or is it a precept, oh, well, I don't do that kind of stuff because I don't feel that way. <laughs> so what if you do feel that way? Then I work on that yeah. directly. Sure. Then I work As on that directly. It. What is it about it that I want to compete with someone in their mind? Mm -hmm. Do I want to help them or do I want to uh, put them down? Do I want to punish them or rehabilitate them? That's the question. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if they don't want to be rehabilitated, then that's their business, not mine. Yeah. Yeah. So then I don't give a flying rip. Yeah. And if I don't give those things, or, or in fact, what when we say I don't give a flying rip, that what that means is, is that I'm not willing to take action. I'm not going to be bothered to go do something about something. I don't care enough about it to go do something. And so basically becoming a monk is the art of learning what's worth caring about and what's not worth caring about. And politics and tiddlywinks and chess games and all that kind of stuff is just not worth caring about. But wanting something I don't have, that's worth caring about. Look at what I want. Why do I want it? Can I do without it? Sure I can. I can be okay without that. 
And so I care about what I want, but I don't care about a whole lot of stuff. And the less you care about, the easier life is. So don't care about too much. Care about the things that are easy to have. Then you have everything you care about. So this is wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what I do? I don't know. You just put a bunch of hearts on there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Daniel, let's finish this now and we'll All get right. back later. I think that this has been a useful conversation. Yeah, I got a lot out of it. That was good. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll see you again soon. All right. Thanks for speaking with me. Good to see you again. Okay. I would also invite you to join uh, on the Sangha on, on Skype. There's a lot of guys, and they uh, many of them are posting things that they're finding on the Internet. It's actually quite a, a nice Sangha to join. Okay. Is that like on the YouTube channel or something? No, it's on Skype, where we are now. Yeah, I mean like the info for it. I'll, I'll send you the info right after we finish the call. Okay, great. Okay. All right, we'll see you. See you later. Thank okay, you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.